Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the water cooler, everybody. It's April 15, 2021. And folks, here we go again. The Democrats' liberal machine has not stopped since Joe Biden was inaugurated. And today, more proof. It's now official. Democrats have introduced legislation that would increase the number of Supreme Court justices by four. Now, we've heard forever about court packing. Well, guess what? It's here now in the form of a bill we are going to explore. Plus, the COVID-19 vaccines. Has the COVID crisis revealed the dark forces in America who are pushing the greatest crackdown on freedom yet? We're going to explore how nefarious sources are at work trying to go after your identity and data. And Joe Biden's infrastructure bill, can Republicans stop it or can they at least stop the liberal tax machine? Senator Mike Braun will be here to discuss. But first, another U.S. senator on the program today, Senator Lindsey Graham joined me earlier in the show, or I say earlier today, to discuss a myriad of issues, including court packing, immigration, the liberalism of Joe Biden, and the Afghanistan troop pullout. Have a look. Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, thanks for being here. Great to reconnect with you. Thank you. Senator uh, Afghanistan, let's talk about that. What's the Taliban thinking right about now uh, regarding the, the move by the Biden administration? Uh, they're licking their chops. They would be dancing. They just don't believe in dancing. Radical Islam has had a good couple of months under Biden. Uh, the border is completely broken. How easy would it be for a terrorist to intermingle among all the illegal immigrants coming here and sneak into the border. We found four or five on the terrorist watch list. Afghanistan, the military advised President Biden, we need a residual counterterrorism force until the Taliban can be more trusted, until uh, the Afghan military can be more capable. I know 20 years is a long time, but these people were devastated. Here's what I worry about. What have we learned? That if you give radical Islam safe haven and sanctuary to plan and plot, they will attack you. What happened after we left Iraq? ISIS came about. They uh, took over parts of Iraq and Syria, and they attacked people in France, the United States, everywhere. So uh, it's been a good day for the Taliban. Mm -hmm. they, they're not in compliance with the conditions set by Trump for us to withdraw, but Biden wants to end the war before the 20th anniversary for political reasons. I think he's going to regret this. He's been wrong about most everything, but our military... Uh, is very worried in the intelligence community that Afghanistan will fold and ISIS and al-Qaeda will come roaring back. Yeah. One of the biggest winners of all this. Senator Graham, you've known Joe Biden, obviously, for a long time. He, look, he's a center-left guy, was a center-left guy. What, what's happened? What, is this the Joe Biden that you knew, or what, what has happened here? Well, he's been wrong a lot. I like him. It was Bob Gates that said that he's... that. Joe Biden's been wrong about every major issue for 30 years. I like him a lot, but it was Joe Biden who said, let's get out of Iraq when the military said we still need 10 or 15,000 troops to ensure the place doesn't fall apart. Uh, all I can say is about President Biden, he's rejected sound military advice. I was on your program uh, when 
Trump was thinking about just leaving Syria, the Kurds would have been slaughtered. President Trump, to his credit, changed. Well, we've just uh, lost Senator Graham. There you are. Go ahead, Senator. Continue. So President Trump, to his credit, adjusted his policies. I went to President Trump and said, listen, if you pull all of our troops out of Syria, the Kurds who helped us destroy ISIS in Syria, the Turkey, Turkey's going to come in and kill all them. So President Trump changed his mind because it would have been unfair to the Turkish allies to let them be destroyed and for ISIS to come back. Well, in Afghanistan, you may be tired of fighting radical Islam. They're not tired of fighting you. If you're listening to this program, if they could get you, they would kill you. They want to destroy the state of Israel. They want to purify the Islamic into a radical form of Islam. And they want to kill uh, every Christian they can get their hands on. These people are religious Nazis. We've had them at bay for the last few years. Trump did a hell of a job uh, putting his foot on their throat. And now we're going to let them back, back up. Uh, we're back into the Iran. The Ayatollah is a religious Nazi. Do you doubt one minute he would use a nuclear weapon against Israel? Look what's going on at the border. So right. the Joe Biden, personally, I think he's been one of the most destabilizing presidents on foreign policy in modern history. Well, you mentioned the border, which is interesting because I want to talk about that. And I know you can go on for hours and hours about what the solution is at the border. What, what's the Reader's Digest version? What is the solution here at the border? And what is Joe Biden not doing that he should be doing? Trump got it right. Trump said, you can't come to the United States and be released anymore. If you apply for asylum, you have to apply for asylum outside the United States. And if you apply for asylum, you're going to wait in Mexico until a court date is available to you years away. Well, what did that do? People are not going to pay twenty, thirty thousand dollars to travel from Guatemala to sit in Mexico for five years. He ended catch and release. We sent all the unaccompanied minors back to the home country, and they stopped coming. Right. We built a wall, and it made it hard. Biden undid everything I just described. There'll be two million people hit our border this year. There'll be terrorists among them. Pulling out of Afghanistan is going to set in motion some very consequences for us. Uh, and the Iranians are licking their chops because Biden is back into the nuclear deal again. Uh, Senator, on immigration real quick, on the DREAM Act, if it came up for a vote in the Senate, where are you on that? Would you, would you vote for the DREAM Act? Not now. I'm not going to vote to legalize one person until we get reclaim control of the border. Mm. If you legalize people now, no matter how meritorious that might be, you would incentivize, incentivize more legal immigrants. What's happening at the border? A minor shows up with family member of the United States here illegally. The federal government pays to reunite the family. We're encouraging people to send minor children to the border because the federal government will pick up the tab to bring them into the United States and reunite a family who's been here illegally. We're letting people loose again. You know, catch and release is back. So I'm not going to do anything to incentivize more legal immigration. And I'd like to fix a broken immigration system, but how can you do that when the policies are just inviting more illegal immigration? There's no chance to do an immigration deal until we regain control of our border. Yeah, and on the immigration issue, uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, he's been really, I'll just say it, relatively silent, maybe totally silent when it comes to the super spreader stuff going on at the border. What, what, what's your message for Dr. Fauci regarding immigration? And should, should he be held responsible for not speaking out more about what's happening COVID-wise at the border? 
Number one, I'm not picking a fight with Dr. Fauci, but if you're the advisor to President Trump about how to protect the country from a COVID spread, uh, you know, we've had vaccines now. He says, basically, he's sort of been all over the board, but I'm not here to beat on Dr. Fauci. What I am saying to Dr. Fauci, a super spreader event is at the border. When you've got 890 people in a room built for 80 and you have a 10, 10% positive rate and people are being picked up at the border within 24 hours, released into the interior of the country without proper testing, you're just inviting uh, uh, a COVID spread. I think he owes it to the country to go down and look at the processes we're using regarding uh, an overwhelmed border and and tell us, is this smart? From a COVID point of view, aren't we just really encouraging a, a bigger spread? The point is that illegal immigration can't be fixed until we go back to the policies that actually work. And if you're really worried about COVID, you need to be really worried about the way we're dealing with illegal immigrants at the border. And the Border Patrol are heroes. They're doing the best they can. They're being overwhelmed. I was there. And 220 people were caught right in front of me. They were all young uh, women and young kids. They were going to be released into the United States, never to be heard from again in about 24 hours. Yeah. So this is, and Dr. Fauci, you need to go to the border. Uh, Senator Graham, I've got less than a minute left. Uh, packing of the courts, we've heard so much about it. Do you think Democrats, I mean, I, my sense is Democrats would do it if they could. Do, do, you, do, you think it'll, yeah. do you think it'll come to that? Or where, where are we and how do they get that done? What's your sense there? They'd have to change the filibuster rule. I, mean, right. I don't think um, Democrats, there, there are a handful of Democrats who wouldn't do it. The liberals would do it if they could. But uh, Justice Ginsburg, before she died, said you, nine is the right number. Justice Breyer, a Democratic appointee, said you shouldn't change the, the court. Look at how destabilized the border is. Look at how the Mideast is changing for the worse because of the Iran agreement. Our friends in Israel are worried to death about what the Iranians may do. What's coming in Afghanistan is horrible. Now, let's look here at home. If you turn the court into a political football, yeah. that's what court packing do, you would destroy it. So when we get back in charge, are we gonna change the number? We'd have to, because they're trying to destroy the conservative majority we've all worked so hard to create. And it's a horrible idea with the court. Senator Graham, always great to see you. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, pray for the country. That's uh, Senator Lindsey Graham here on the water cooler. Uh, some news coming out of that, uh, calling Joe Biden uh, the most, uh, pretty much the most destabilizing force in foreign policy ever from a president. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, also, interesting about the DREAM Act. You know, the DREAM Act hasn't hit the Senate floor yet, but if and when it does, Lindsey Graham said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to vote for the DREAM Act. Uh, until they start to secure the border. And by the way, Lindsey Graham, big proponent of the DREAM Act, so, so that's clearly uh, some news there as well. And of course, the packing of the court, we'll be watching that here at the water cooler every single day. We're back next with Senator Mike Braun from Indiana talking about infrastructure and court packing. Back in a moment. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham in our first block. And we got to court packing at the end of that uh, interview because uh, the headlines today are all about court packing. The House uh, and Senate Democrats uh, plan to basically put forward a bill to, in essence, say four justices. That's what they want. They want to add four justices to the Supreme Court. Hello. We told you this was coming. Everybody said this was coming, and here we are. So uh, let's get some more reaction to that from Senator Mike Braun from Indiana, back with us on the water cooler. Senator, great to see you again, sir. Hey, good to be back on. Well, what, what's your reaction to this uh, move by Democrats? Uh, you know, th this was we knew this was coming. I'd say buckle up, because this is going to be a cascade of some of their uh, best and brightest ideas. And this especially SR1, HR1, the voting rights bill, that'll be the true test of, I think, whether they breach the filibuster. Of course, four new judges, uh, that would have to muster that as well. But I think once they do one of them, they may come back to any of these ideas. Their crown jewels, of course, are Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. Uh, that is even in play because I think once they do anything that breaches the filibuster, they're going to go for broke. And it's not like they've been timid so far. And I think what they've done through uh, the COVID relief bill, which was only 10% that, dumping nearly $2 trillion into the economy, uh, what they're about to do with the new definition of infrastructure, which is even more, they're going to try to, I think, put a sugar high into the economy and enamor everyone with free stuff coming from D.C. and then hit you with the ugly policy stuff. Four judges, D.C. statehood, uh, the federalizing election law, Equality Act, uh, take your pick. What happened to unity? I, I thought Joe Biden wanted to unify the country, Senator. That's very easy. They're great at taglines and buzzwords because they love the federal government. They'll do whatever they can get through, uh, regardless of what it costs. And then they'll put marketing taglines out there, COVID relief, infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, it's going to sound good to sell it. They're quicker at the game than we are, and they're uh, Madison Avenue experts. I want to get to infrastructure in a moment, but you know, you mentioned the legislative filibuster, uh, and just to give our audience a primer, here's the bottom line: HR one, the packing of the courts, uh, all of this stuff doesn't get done unless they change the legislative filibuster. So, so what's your sense on that? They're probably working Mansion pretty hard on this, right? Well, we'll see how uh, uh, much of a stalwart Joe Manchin is, Kirsten Cinema. He has been out publicly so many times that. You know, he's going to hold strong. Uh, he also, though, uh, when you're the only one there, there are a lot of pressures that can be exerted upon you. And my observation on anything else, including that unemployment benefit that we wrestled with in the res rescue bill, he ended up rolling over there, was going to be against it at first, but then did a little gimmick of taking it from 400 to 300. It's the biggest thing I hear in Indiana, people competing with the federal government enhanced unemployment benefit to get people back to work. Yeah. Then they gave a tax-free nod to the first $10,000 of income that really put it back up to 400. I uh, 
I'm anxious to see. Uh, when it comes to some of this ideological stuff uh, that is really out there that has no monetary uh, consideration to it, yeah. he's gonna, it'll, he'll be tested, we'll see. Think he's gonna roll over? You don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. I hope he doesn't, uh, but I'd hate to be in his yeah. spot. Yeah, for sure. Let's get to infrastructure real quick. I wanted to bring you on to talk about that. There's a Times, New York Times poll out there, or they commission a poll, showing large majorities back spending on roads and ports and even some broadband. Uh, Republicans, though, it says, aim to make corporate tax increases the issue. I'm not going to take the New York Times word for it. I'll take your word for it. So why don't you tell us what the Republican plan is here uh, in terms of not necessarily fighting the infrastructure bill, because there are parts of it, I'm sure, that you guys would, would go for. But, but there's something, uh, when it comes to the tax machine, they're getting that cranked up for sure. Again, it's an opportunity. Uh, you're calling it infrastructure. Everybody loves infrastructure, because in my opinion, the federal government, the most important thing is defending the country, maybe keeping the safety net solvent, which that's two thirds of the driver of our structural deficits and then infrastructure. But infrastructure, roads, and bridges. You can throw in waterways, air, and rail. That never amounts to much, even when you take all three of them into consideration. Infrastructure, even though we need rural broadband, most of the states can handle that, especially the ones that run their operations well, that have rainy day funds, investment uh, uh, cash sitting around because they believe in living within their means. Uh, senior housing, uh, stuff that's not even tangible, that's not infrastructure. And we'll borrow every penny that we spend on it. If you do raise the corporate tax, if it's a C-corp rate, that's less of an issue, and I'm a tax hawk than what I'm worried they're gonna monkey with, and that is the uh, qualified income tax deduction for small businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, C-Corp rate is trickier because so many C-Corporations avoid the full rate in the first place. Right. And it, whatever you do there, it won't generate much revenue before you start tanking the economy. Uh, so that's a false argument. But you package it right, you know, uh, soak the corporations and the rich, you won't get much from it, and you still end up spending a ton of money, most of which you borrow. I've got about 30 seconds or so to yep. get an answer from you here, but I'm curious about the budget reconciliation process. Do you, I mean, first of all, they're not going to get 10 Republican, I mean, they could get 10 Republican senators if they had a, a narrow, narrower bill, but if they're going to go for the Good. big enchilada, yeah, if they're going to go for the big enchilada, you think they're going to go budget reconciliation again? I think they will, and they've set the stage on that, uh, you know, with what they did with the COVID relief package. So uh, they've already pulled that off once. Uh, Rahm Emanuel, never waste a crisis. Uh, make the move when you can. Uh, they're calculating, too. We may not get the presidency in both chambers back for who knows when to undo all of this. They're opportunists. I would err on the side that they're going to ram a lot of stuff through. Yeah, Senator Mike Braun from Indiana. Indiana, nice. That describes you. We appreciate you. There you on go. The show. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Great to see you. Uh, all right, so that's two for two. Uh, Lindsey Graham, Mike Braun. Who's the next U.S. Senator? Madison, who do we have next? Oh, I know, I know what you're going to say. Not a U.S. Senator. That's okay. Ken Cuccinelli, former Trump administration official, talking immigration in HR1. Back in a moment. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, 
which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water pool, everybody. Quick uh, little page, if you don't mind, give me a second. Paging Kamala Harris. Paging Kamala Harris, aisle seven. You're needed in the Northern Triangle. You're needed uh, at the Catch and Release Office. You're needed in America. You're needed to clean up the immigration crisis. Thank you. That was my call to Kamala Harris. Uh, let's bring in Ken Cuccinelli, uh, Heritage Foundation visiting fellow and former acting deputy secretary at DHS. Ken, great to have you back on the show, sir. Yeah, good to be with you. My version is where's Camaldo? <laughs> oh, so. oh, Waldo. Got it. Yeah. Right. How about the Carmen Sandiego version? Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Where in the world is <laughs> Kamala Harris? All right. So what's going on now? Steve Scalise, uh, the the whip there in the uh, in GOP whip, has got uh, the the what the the milk carton situation going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on here is um, that is I have to say that is pretty funny. That's um, funny stuff. But it is pretty good. But um, I have to say that this is pretty straightforward. Uh, why we're not seeing what we're not seeing. And that is that no one in this administration, first of all, they all know what they need to do to stop the flood at the border. But they all lack the political courage to face off with their own radical base. So the president, being the president, gets to delegate, right? So he says, hey, Madam Vice President, you're in charge of this thing that I don't want to get anywhere near. And of course, she's even more to the left than he is. So she doesn't want to get anywhere near it. So you, you literally, it's like everybody in the administration is running away from the stink pile. Um, all the while, four, five, six thousand people are being apprehended every day, including high proportions of families and children at the border. There's no end in sight. Only this week do they even take any affirmative step, anything, to try to slow the flow. Um, and their problem, their secondary political problem, is that everything they might do, we already did. So they're gonna, they're immediately gonna get the question: Well, aren't you just doing what the Trump administration did for this, you know, this particular piece of the solution? And the answer will be yes, though they won't say yes, just like they won't say crisis. Yeah. And I get it that she's going to the Northern Triangle and Guatemala and economic conditions. I get all of that. But look, what about catch and release? I mean, where, you know, you know yeah. it, to me, I'm sorry, Ken, <clears throat> look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I can understand this. You arrest someone and then you let them, you say, come back for the court date and they don't show up. And it's like, what, 70, 80 percent of them or more don't show up. I mean, what, what am I missing here? I, I'm confused. And those and. And those court dates are a long way off because right. the system is so backed up. And gee, why might it be backed up? Because of bouts like this, when you dump over 100,000 cases a month into your system that's already backlogged. And um, I mean, one of the things I did when I was leading USCIS, the legal immigration agency, is we hired 50% more asylum officers to try to work our way through that backlog. And, um, you know, but you can, you can pick any multiple you like of case officers. When you bring in these kinds of numbers without deporting anybody, and that's their plan, you know, their deportations have dropped by 75% 
from ours. And when you tell people you won't deport them, then this is what you get. And every facility is full. Over 40% of the Border Patrol is, is now performing caretaker duties instead of law enforcement and national security duties, um, which is a bonanza for the cartels. Um, it's a very bad situation with no end in sight, again, because they simply don't have the political courage to do what needs to be done. They know what needs to be done. Yeah. Ken, I want to switch gears to election integrity reform. Uh, and H.R. 1, you've been a big pro proponent of saying, uh, not of H.R. 1, <laughs> but of saying, right. you know, of federal, right, of stopping it, for sure. And we've seen in Georgia some elect, uh, the election integrity law, big controversy there, Arizona now, and, and in Wisconsin, just recently, the state Senate, at least, uh, election integrity bill passes Wisconsin Senate. What, what do you make of what's happening in the states right now? Well, uh, as a general matter, Americans, ordinary Americans, including state legislators, recognize that we have some problems that need to be fixed. And out in the states, they're doing what states tend to do that Washington doesn't, and that's face problems and solve them. And um, you know, you 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 mentioned the Georgia laws are you know controversial. Georgia laws, the laws aren't controversial. True. There has been a controversy created, but it isn't because of what's in the law. Americans, Georgians, most critically here, but all Americans appreciate what's in that law. They appreciate voter ID across the board. Biden voters like voter ID requirements because they understand and they prioritize the security of our elections. This isn't me. It isn't David Brody. This is ordinary Americans mm -hmm. do this. So we're very much in the right place on this. And um, Florida, you think back to Bush v. Gore and the disaster they were in 2000. They set about fixing their system. They had a great system, operated very smoothly, third largest state, counted on election day with no complaints on either side in 2020, while all these other states are tearing their hair out, messing up all over the place. So yeah. we can fix this. We've proven we can fix these problems. And I'm glad to see Wisconsin moving ahead. Arizona did recently, Georgia, Iowa, yeah. lots of progress. You know, as we wrap up here, what drives me crazy is the way the media has framed this, right? Restricting voting yeah. rights. The Republicans want to pass bills that restrict voting rights rather than actually say what they are, which is election integrity laws. I mean, and, and it's the me, you know, it's not the Democrats say restrict voting rights, but the media plays along and does the same exact language, uses the same exact talking well, points, Ken. They, they do use the same exact talking points. They're essentially an ideological arm of the Democrat Party, and, um, and they act like it vehemently. But so far, the American people see this for what it is. And, you know, the biggest joke here is the CEOs, none of whom's buildings you can get into <laughs> without an ID. Delta was the best. I'll tell you what. How about next time I fly Delta? I don't show you my ID. What do you do? Well, I don't let you on the plane and uh, can't get your baseball tickets at will call if you don't show an ID. I mean, it's one after the other. And that's why Americans think this stuff is basic common sense to secure the ballot. And let me say this. Yeah. It has never been easier to register to vote anywhere in America than it is today. Right. And it has never been easier to vote anywhere in America. Ken Cuccinelli, uh, giving it to us straight with the, quote, border wall behind you, former acting deputy secretary of DHS. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Good to be with you.
All right. Uh, coming next, Matt Staver, the chairman of Liberty Council. Talk about religious freedom under attack in America. He's going to talk about that as it relates to COVID. It's all coming up next on The Water Cooler. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Religious freedom under attack in America. It's a headline and something we've been talking about every single day. Really, if you think about it, since COVID started, definitely since it got going. Uh, and Matt Staver joins us now. He's the chairman of Liberty Council. Uh, Matt, really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, Matt, we've uh, known each other a long time. Uh, look, you're on the front lines of so many different religious freedom battles in this country, high profile cases. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what you've seen this time around with COVID, just as a 30,000 foot view, if you will, about how much religious freedom indeed is under attack in this country right now. Well, a lot of religious freedom is under attack and freedom in general on a broader scale as well. If you go back to March of 2020, for example, in California, California began to shut down churches in March of 2020. And except for 100 days, a short period of time in 2020, there was a no worship ban. In other words, you couldn't worship at all in churches or in private homes all the way up until February 6, 2021. And even later, for home worship. That just happened about a week ago, overruling the governor's ban on home worship. So it's amazing here in America that you would be criminally charged for going to church, no matter what the size of the church is, that you would have a total ban on all worship except for 100 days for nearly a year. This is a case that we took all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and it took nearly a year to get that also overturned but then even after that, the governor still didn't get the message and he continued to ban home worship. So another case went to the Supreme Court and just recently it was struck down as well as violating the First Amendment. You know, we've talked about persecution and discrimination. I'm very clear of the difference between the two because we work worldwide with Christians who are jailed for going to church, jailed for having a Bible, for being a Christian. Churches are bulldozed. Never thought we would see that happening in America. But what we now see is literally persecution that came under the guise of COVID to literally shut down the churches. If people that have been arrested, pastors, or threatened with arrest just for going to church up to one year in prison is not persecution, I don't know what is. Yeah, so where, where, what do you think uh, what's going on at the Supreme Court? It seems like there's been a, a string of victories here. Are, are you encouraged by what we've seen so far out of the U.S. Supreme Court on this? I am encouraged by what we see so far. Obviously, I'm very concerned about Chief Justice John Roberts. Sure. He's only cited uh, in two cases. One of those is our case in this total ban on worship. The rest of the time, he's been on the other side. Thank God uh, Donald Trump uh, nominated and got confirmed uh, Justice Barrett. She's been the fifth vote and therefore made Roberts irrelevant on these issues. And since then, Thanksgiving Eve, we've had victory after victory at the Supreme Court five, four decisions, and one, at least a six, three decision at the United States Supreme Court in the case of Harvest Rock Church, which we represent in California. Yeah. But we should have a unanimous court because this is a no brainer. This is government telling you, you cannot go to church, but you can go to an abortion clinic, liquor stores, big box centers, warehouses, anything else that's essential, but shutting down the churches 
That's never been heard of in America until recently, and it's blatantly unconstitutional. Yeah, so Matt, let me get your take. I've been curious for a while now to get your take on these vaccine passports, and I put passports in air quotes. We like to call them papers. I mean, because if you think about it, that has a whole different connotation. You know, can I see your papers? Uh, harkens right. back to a very dark time in, in world history. Uh, wh what is your take from, from a legal perspective as to what we're going to see in the workplace and at the federal government level? Because there are going to be lawsuits here for sure. Oh, there's no question. First of all, all of the vaccines are approved only under emergency use authorization, meaning that they're still experimental. There's not enough data to get them FDA licensed. So you cannot, under federal law, coerce or force anyone to take any of these COVID vaccines or injections. And on the vaccine passport, this predated COVID. It goes back many, many years before COVID. COVID was a springboard to push this forward. In fact, Bill Gates back in 2015 talked about vaccinating all seven plus billion people on the planet. The only way to be able to do that is to have a vaccine passport and to be able to trace and track whether somebody has had the passport or has had the vaccination. And that has to be forced by the governments of the various parts of the world. That plan's been in the process for a long time. Yeah. In fact, China already implemented that with various kinds of tracking and tracing apps, and they just added COVID to it. And so therefore that vaccine passport whether it's COVID, and it's going to be many, many other things, it's your digital health passport. That will be your entry. They want it to be to travel domestically, internationally, to work, to dine, to shop, even to worship. It is a very serious threat to religious freedom and to freedom in general. Well, this is this is a way. This is in, in kind of a glorified identity theft, if you will, and a data, a digital data breach. Is it not? It is. In fact, uh, strikingly and, and really astoundingly, even the Pentagon recently announced that it is working on something that it's about ready to deploy, and that is something that would go under your skin that would periodically test your blood, whether it was for COVID or some other kind of condition, and report that data to a collection source uh, without even a cellular phone. This is something that would be implanted under your skin. This is not China. This is not some other foreign country. This is the Pentagon in the yeah. United States of America. So, so let me just understand, because you mentioned Bill Gates, and I know there are a lot of people concerned about what Bill Gates has been standing for for years and, you know, in terms of human population, and we got to kind of, well, whatever, I don't want to get into all of that. But the bottom line is, it sounds to me like you're suggesting there are some nefarious forces at work here uh, when it comes to a threat on, on people's individual freedom. Well, look, Bill Gates is a eugenicist. Uh, his dad was a eugenicist. He was president of Planned Parenthood. He has the same kind of eugenic idea uh, that Margaret Sanger had. He wants to reduce human population on the planet. This was his 2015 TED Talk in order to reduce CO2 emissions to zero. And one of the ways is vaccinations. And he's clearly been pushing this issue of these vaccine passports and this tracing and tracking and being forced in order to push this globally. In fact, even MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, early in 2020, began pushing this idea of a vaccine passport in their technology review. She, they said, well, you know, it's going to be hard for people that just normally travel anywhere they want to go in the United States or elsewhere to get rid, to lose this freedom. But we'll get used to it, and this will become commonplace, just like walking through a TSA checkpoint to go fly somewhere domestically or international. Well, you know what? I don't ever want to get used to that. We should never have to have our freedom 
be at the pleasure of a vaccine digital health passport that tracks and traces everywhere we go. I was just yep. meeting with a friend of mine from Israel. He yep. has a QR code on his cell phone. Got to run. That's his passport. Yeah, I want to talk more about that, Matt. I'd love for you to come back. This has been just really enlightening. Thank you so very, very much, Matt. Thank you, my friend. All right, that's great. And by the way, something very important he mentioned, FDA has not officially approved that, this. That's the legal out. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. That's the name of the show. It's the Water Cooler. There, how's that? Uh, that's just a it's, a, it's an age thing. Just, you'll know when you hit 50, oh, I'm not going to say it. Should I say my age? Madison, should I say my age? No, don't say it. All right, time for the last sip. You want to guess my age? The Water Cooler at JustTheNews.com. The water cooler at justthenews.com. I'm so narcissistic. I said my age yesterday? Oh, yeah, I think I did. Anyhow, uh, okay, so court packing. How about this one, right? Uh, we knew this was coming. We've been talking about it all show. Uh, let's begin, shall we, with uh, the, the couple of the House Democrats that put forward this bill. Let's hear from them, shall we, about packing the courts. They want four more justices, which isn't this interesting. would make it seven, six Democrats. <laughs> Here you go. We have a stilted, illegitimate 6-3 conservative majority on the court that has caused this crisis of confidence in our country. The Republicans stole two seats on the Supreme Court, and now it is up to us to repair that damage. Our predecessors made eminent sense when they, rigged, when they pegged the size of the Supreme Court to the number of judicial circuits. As our country has grown, so too to the Supreme Court. 13 justices for 13 circuits is a logical progression, and that is another reason why I'm glad to join my colleagues in introducing the Judiciary Act of 2021, and it also will enable us to do justice and to rectify the great injustice that was done in packing the court. And some people will say we're packing the court. We're not packing it. We're unpacking it. Senator McConnell and the Republicans packed the court over the last couple of years, as Senator uh, uh, Markey outlined. Of course they're packing a court. Anyhow, here's Nancy Pelosi throwing some cold water on uh, Nadler. Do you support Jerry Nadler's bill to expand the Supreme Court by four seats? And would you commit to bringing that bill to the floor? No. I, I support the president's commission to study such a proposal. Uh, but, uh, frankly, I, I, I'm not... Okay, let, let's just let's just calm down here for a second, because the media is up in a lather about Nancy Pelosi's comments. This idea that uh, she doesn't support Nadler's bill, but let's be clear about this: the only reason she doesn't support it is because it doesn't have the votes right now. You're not going to get moderate Democrats probably to go along with that. Number one, uh, number two, they already have the commission, so you have the commission on one side, you have the bill on the other. They work in tandem. Six months down the line, nine months down the line, you get support, you see the commission support packing the court, then all of a sudden, what do you know? The bill comes to the floor, Nancy Pelosi goes, you know what, hey, I support that bill. Folks, that's how it works in the swamp. Back in a moment. And welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. We're talking a lot about court packing today. Not meat packing, though I'm going to probably do that over the weekend. Uh, trust me on the protein. Uh, let's uh, get joined, get joined. What is my grammar today? Let's, uh, Joe Weber joins us now. Joe, I'm sorry. Look, it, I'm off my game. Not that I ever had an A game, but good to see you, Joe. Hi, David. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you so much. If I can just get the words out. Hey, so Nancy Pelosi, some interesting comments from her today regarding this court packing bill by Democrats. Why don't you tell us more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, things are pretty fast and furious over there up on the Hill after a two-week break. So uh, last night, 
uh, Jerry Nadler from the Judiciary Committee, and along with Ed Markey over there in the Senate, uh, said that they were going to uh, bring out a measure to add four members of the um, justices to the Supreme Court, um, which would, in theory, give them switch it from the 6 3 um, conservative majority to a 9 4. And uh, Pelosi promptly said in her weekly presser that she would not bring that bill to the floor. And as we had discussed, uh, earlier today, David, um, we know that you know earlier when she House first won, Democrats first won control of the House. Nadler seemed to pressure into the impeachment of President Trump. Didn't want to do that, but successfully did. Uh, Marquis tried to take his side of the Green New Deal that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez had put out there. Tried to press her in to do that, but here it appears as if she's just going to go with the moderate approach. And she said that she's going to stick with let have President Biden and his bipartisan committee uh, take a look at that before she makes any decisions. Yeah, you know, it's interesting here with Pelosi. She's an expert vote counter. She knows the deal. She's not going to bring up any bill to the floor that she doesn't think for sure is going to pass, right, Joe? Well, absolutely, yeah. We've seen that before. That happened famously one time with uh, Paul Ryan when he didn't have the votes and had to yank that thing at the last minute. Uh, it was embarrassing. And we had, as we had talked earlier, when um, Tim Ryan challenged her for her House speakership several years ago, as soon as she said she had the votes, and as soon as she won it, she pointed to my former colleague, uh, Chad Pergram at Fox, and said, see, Chad, I had the votes. That was the first words out of her mouth. So she prides herself on votes counting, and she's very good at it. All right, Joe Weber, uh, really appreciate your time. Justthenews.com, that's where everybody goes to find your stories and many others. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, Joe Weber, uh, two times this week uh, in a row, I believe, uh, that he has dressed up for the show. So we appreciate that. Uh, we've got a, we had a lot on the show today, for sure. Think about it for a moment. We had two U.S. senators on this show. Hey, let's pat ourselves on the back. I can't do it. Trust me. I, I literally, I literally can't do it. Uh, but Senator Mike Braun on the show, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator John Thune the other day. Uh, so this is where the newsmakers are at. By the way, hey, just between you and me, Kevin McCarthy next week. That's the plan. So stick around for that. We'll see you tomorrow.